0: Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Marginalia Pod, where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connections through our favorite books.
1: I would like to begin by acknowledging the Guringai and Darug people, traditional custodians of the land where I am recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past and present.
0: I'd also like to acknowledge Tungata Fenua of the Funganui Atara, where I'm recording today.
1: Hello. I know that we've only spent like a day not talking, but I was like, I want to text Jen and then I was like, oh, she's on a sabbatical, little text Sabbath, I'm like, I won't bother her. So I'm really glad to talk to you. It's very exciting. You can
0: still text me. I'm just not checking my socials or my <laughs> messages or anything. So you can still message and they'll be there on Sunday night when I decide to check them again.
1: This is true. But also I, I feel like that creates an obligation for you to have to go through and answer all of my things. And I don't think you need that. I don't know that anything I have to say is any more important than you actually getting a weekend of rest, so.
0: Oh, I very much appreciate the consideration. Thank you. I'm (laughs) just glad to hang out.
1: Woo. Always a good time. That is. So what did you do this week that sparked
0: joy? Okay, so on Tuesday, my friend Meredith and I went to a pub quiz. So we usually quiz with our friend Mike, but we haven't been in months, and so we were like, we finally decided to go. They've moved our traditional pub quiz from a Monday to a Tuesday, which has caused havoc. Oh no. Mike plays tennis on Tuesday, so he couldn't come, so we just went without him, because we were like, we just wanted to hang out and quiz. And yeah, So we didn't really think we'd do very well, because we haven't been in ages, and it's just the two of us, but we ended up winning. Ooh, and Well done! The quiz master made a really big deal about it. He was <laughs> (laughs) like I cannot believe that this team because we did really well at the end we got like full marks and on our double rounds we got like a nine so they doubled up to Mm -hmm. 18 and a 10 so they doubled up to 20 so we did really well and he was like reading out our last scores he was like 10 10 9 18 10 20 I'm like oh god this is so embarrassing but also (laughs) yes we deserve the praise yeah
1: it was fun yeah you do that's really good and because usually there's another team that's like quite big right like there are a lot of people
0: yeah everyone else was about teams of six or more so it was just us
1: nice all you need is two really smart women
0: It was funny because it was like really quick. It's a new quiz master and he was intensely quick. So we didn't have to our debate that we normally have. We usually Mm. have like a bit of a back and forth. So it was a bit of like, just go with your gut. Put down the first thing. Yeah. But also he was English and a couple of the rounds were like English themed. And we know it's a company that does it. He doesn't make up the quiz. But I took quite a lot of pleasure in accusing him of colonialism. I'm like, why has all these (laughs) colonialist (laughs) questions in this quiz? (laughs) I love it. Meredith calls him budget Robbie Williams because he looks a bit like Robbie Williams.
1: Budget Robbie Williams. <laughs> Classic Meredith. Anyway. Who I've never met. It was great. It <laughs> was great. What's fuck joy for you this week? I had a pretty good week, but the biggest thing is that the cast is off. My son's leg is Ooh. free. Woohoo. Um, And it's so smelly. And he has a nice little <laughs> fungal infection in his toes, which I expected. But I don't know, we just had a really beautiful moment where like I got him home and like I just I washed his legs and feet and I was like I kind of get why Jesus did this, you know, <laughs> like canonically because it's this really beautiful and loving act of like I'm going to care for you. Please just sit there and let me. And it's just really lovely. I don't know, it was just really nice to get him back in both shoes and both socks and he's still very sore, but there's no cast. So it's been really mm. nice to just close that chapter. Um, yeah the cast is off
0: good job getting through those challenging six weeks especially as you've yeah. been on your own
1: recently yeah. so yeah yeah I'm just really like when he climbs in at night now I don't get like whack, <laughs> like mm. this huge scratchy plaster cast hitting me in the leg or face or whatever that's a nice thing too it's Aww. good I'm feeling good I'm very happy about this
0: well I am happy for you too and for him of course
1: thanks a good day he kissed and hugged his knee and everything it was so cute
0: Aww, cute he was very brave so good for him
1: yeah he really was and now he can hop around again and invade do you want to just take this with you here just take that with
0: you shut the door please can't hear him coming anymore because he's not thumping as he like hops no. in the house you don't get the dump 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 <laughs> well this week we're reading chapters 20 to 24 through the theme of self-awareness did you have a story for us
1: i do so self-awareness is one of those concepts that i spend a lot of time thinking about because i had to learn how to teach it to my kids and it's i would say it's true that i've cultivated a pretty good mental self-awareness like i know who i am i've always been really solid on my values i know what i want to do and what i don't want to do like i'm a very decisive person but there are other ways that i really struggle and it's mostly physical, like my physical self-awareness is not up to scratch. I'm going to tell a story about a time when my physical self-awareness was firing, but my mental self-awareness hadn't caught up yet. Hmm. So when I first started quilting, I fell in with a great group of women who were similar ages, life stages. We had really similar interests and aesthetics. And it was really wonderful to like meet a group of women who we, you know, just we loved doing stuff together. The modern quilting movement was gaining a bit of traction here in Australia at the time. And my friendly group of like-minded quilters had the idea that we would formalize our group under this umbrella of modern quilting. We weren't the only ones, of course, but we were the first. And when the next modern group popped up, I excitedly set up a coffee date so we could chat groups and plans and maybe this was my big hope we could like pool our resources and arrange big sewing days like big socials and maybe do something really great like a show like I was really excited. Now at this point I had a baby, so going anywhere was a hassle, but I managed to make it all the way down into the city and I found a parking spot and I got to a coffee shop and we all sat down and we chatted. I was taking notes. I heard them out. I was like encouraging them for their group plans. I was excited and I tendered some of my own hopes and ideas as well. So the meeting ended and we agreed afterward that we would walk a short distance and meet up at a local quilt shop. I left this coffee shop feeling very strange. I was up, but not in a good way. I was shaking and something really big and painful was like expanding in my chest. I could not understand it at all. Why was my body suddenly telling me I'd had a really terrible encounter with this new group of people? Because I had had a really terrible encounter with this new group of people. Every idea I had offered was dismissed as too ambitious or unrealistic, you'll never was the beginning of every other sentence. The ideas I'd had for our groups doing bigger social events, obviously no one would travel that far. I had just, driven in from the other end of Sydney to make this meeting, but I guess I don't count. And the community building ideas I'd been so keen on, well, other groups already covered things like that, and we wouldn't want to step on any toes. The whole meeting had been like this, but I had been so doggedly optimistic that I couldn't even tell in the moment what was happening. My body had to like stage a coup for me to pay attention, not to just what they'd been saying, but how they'd been saying it. Well, anyway, I put on a happy face and went into the fabric shop and made a quick exit and I cried most of the way home. Mm. I think over time I've gotten better at identifying moments like this and letting them wash over and through me. Sometimes it is too late to back out or really make a graceful exit, but at least I know how to get through it to stand on the other side once it's happened. I learned a lot of really valuable lessons that day, but the one I found the most useful is this. Even if my brain doesn't recognize crappy behavior, my body always does.
0: That is so horrible. I just... I I really dislike when people are just unwilling to meet you where you are. Like, even if you think it won't work, you've just started a group. You're the more experienced person. Just hear you where you are. Like, have a little bit of ambition. I'm not saying go all out. Don't start at the top. But it's good to have a goal and then work yeah. towards it. Oh, that makes me really sad. I'm sorry. Thank I'm you. I'm sorry that they treated you like that. How dare they? Who are they? <laughs> Give me their name there's so much
1: more to it like so many worse things about that group and the things they did and i
0: will definitely spill the tea later Mm. that's so horrible because it's a thing that brings you so much joy it's this creative outlet that you really loved and that you came to with so much passion and for people to taint that in such a way it's just horrible
1: yeah and I kind of wonder if that's why as our group progressed I became really reticent about getting bigger or being more inclusive Mm. or like trying for any bigger projects I sort of instinctually locked down myself like I was like no I don't really want to to try and Mm. get bigger I don't really want to do all of those things I I sort of had this like negative self-talk thing going on because
0: you had your safe bit
1: yeah and I've always said that I'm not ambitious but maybe that's part of why I'm not ambitious with my quilting because I feel like I just don't want to deal with the people who are going to be like that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's very important to recognize that. Sometimes you need to be in a specific time in your life to be able to face that sort of thing because mm. you're going to get, you know that there's going to be criticism and there are people who are just not going to like you no matter what you do. It's the same with writing, right? Like there yeah. are going to be people who just do not like your writing. And if you are not ready to not care, then you, you're not ready because yeah. you can't care. You can't care about every bad review. You can't care about every person's opinion. Absolutely. And I think this is so interesting because I've been on TikTok for a month now and I don't care. <laughs> about people's opinions on TikTok. Like for me, it's just I do some dumb TikToks. I have a bit of a lol and then people do leave dumb comments and I laugh at that as well. But I can see that if you're young and you care and you genuinely yeah. trying to like make an impression, it would be horrible. Like it would get under your skin. So, yeah. yeah. Absolutely.
1: Yikes. I do find even now sometimes someone will say a little comment and I'm like, "What was the point of that?" Like I'm not like offended personally, but I'm kind of bothered by the fact that they went to the effort to be rude like just like why would you do why like what is the point of saying making a comment on instagram or like what what is the point if you don't have something nice to say then tell your friends but
0: don't put it on social media that's just not like i don't know Maybe. Yeah, I don't I'm it. just old. I don't get it either. <laughs> no, but what, what do you get out of it? What is that adding to your life? Because often people will leave a comment and then move on. You'll never see that comment again, but you've now left a mean comment on someone else's post. For what point of purpose? Yeah. What are you adding to the conversation? Like I did this one TikTok that was about rising price of avocados and people will just comment the same thing over and over again. I'm like, this comment has been made. Why yeah. do you keep having this conversation? I also don't care about avocados. Please stop commenting on my video. <laughs> <laughs> That's another thing altogether. I love it. The avocados. Well, I'll do our chapter summary, shall I? Thank you. <laughs> that would be great. This week, Sinclair and Anna spend a magical Thanksgiving weekend together, talking and growing closer and spending nights together. But at the end, he creates some distance and things are weird and tense until they're booked on the same flight home for Christmas. Anna finds it hard to adapt to being home in Atlanta. But she's still got Bridget's show to look forward to. So it's quite sweet that they hang out so much. But then it's annoying that he's so weird about it.
1: He is so weird about it. And I really want to give him the benefit of the doubt and be like, right, he's a teenage boy. He's got a really crappy dad. His mom is sick and he's not with her and he really wants to be with her. Everybody else in their friend group, including his girlfriend, who he's having really conflicting feelings about, has left. He's stuck with the girl that he really has a crush on, but he kind of feels like he can't make a move. But like, they also have the best time together. So I, I kind of want to like give him the benefit of the doubt, but also I just want to be like, Hey, just say something. Like, just put yourself out there instead of being this weird, aggro, young, silly. Boy. Mm. I felt like as self aware in a lot of ways that he is. Like he's very aware that he's short, he knows he's charming. He just really misses the boat on being vulnerable with Anna in a way that makes sense.
0: Probably just the fear of vulnerability in general, right? Because mm-hmm. that would be part of what prevents him from breaking up with Ellie because he knows he has this relationship. You know, they've yeah. obviously had a good time previously. The idea that he would you know it's a vulnerable thing to like take a chance on another relationship as well to be like will i break off with my girlfriend who we're not having a great time right now but we've had a good p- time in the past you know whatever to take a chance on this girl or do i know that this is a crush and just a crush and if i just let it go we can ride it out
1: yeah i mean there's no real script for it you know he has to decide what's What's important. And it's really, I think it's really hard when it's your first big relationship, because you don't want to let go of it for a lot of reasons. You spend a lot of time, especially when you're a teenager, feeling like all of these feelings are so big and huge that you'll never feel like this about anyone else. And that is true because you're a teenager. And when you're a teenager, everything is up to 11, whether you want it to be or not. But that's not to say that those later relationships and feelings aren't better or different or worthy. Mm. It's really hard to shake that first one, though, in some ways
0: yeah I don't even know if it's just the first one but I think there are some relationships that you have in your life that are just bigger than others and that doesn't mean you love other people less or you care Mm. about them less but there are some relationships that are just the ones that shake you and stay with you even years and years later even though maybe they were just a short time or you know just for a season and you just remember them forever and like I just think she has that scene where she describes the first night that he's sleeping over and she describes being so aware of him you know all that feeling I'm actually just going to read it because I think it's such a great passage. Page 178. Mm. I swallow and it's too loud. He coughs again. I'm trying not to squirm. After what feels like hours, but is surely only minutes, his breath slows and his body relaxes. I finally begin to relax too. I want to memorise his scent and the touch of his skin, one of his arms now against mine, and the solidness of his body. No matter what happens, I'll remember this for the rest of my life. I'm like, man, that is like a perfect encapsulation of that person that you're just obsessed with. Yeah. Like you're obsessed with them.
1: (laughs) Yes. I think that's why I keep coming back to this book, because it really captures that feeling of the immensity that you have when you really, really, really like someone. Like the physical like and the emotional like, all of it is so raw and fresh and so young. It feels young. It feels exactly like it does when you first have a crush on someone and you get to spend time with them and you're like, I am the luckiest person in the world. This is the cutest person and they're with me and they think I'm (laughs) cute and charming. It's great.
0: And just that awareness, the awareness of like a brush of a foot against an ankle, or oh. the nearest brush of a fingertip against the back of your hand. And like, it's just, it's so intense.
1: Mm, And so electric. I I mean, I know that we talked about Strange the Dreamer being probably one of the like sexiest books we've ever read without actually being like sexy just because of that intense longing and yearning. And this really, I think, is Mm. quite it's very much more mundane, but it hits a lot of the same beats for me of like just that physical awareness, the yearning to be with someone, that closeness, that wanting. It's really good. Mm. And very accurate, I think. Yes. Yes. When you do find that person, you're like, oh my gosh, I just need to be right next to them. And Sinclair's the same. Like, he has to sit next to Anna at every meal. He always sits
0: next to her. He's the one who comes to her. He wants to spend the night. And part of that is his own, you know, he is going through an intensely emotional situation and he doesn't want to be alone and he has a great night's sleep. So he's like, I'll just replicate the situation so that I continue to have good sleep and be with Anna and all these things. And that's fine. But yeah, you know, he's also obviously feeling it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think Anna is incredibly self aware about this line between her and Sinclair, right? Like, she wants mm. him, but knowing that she shouldn't. She's constantly talking to herself about it, you know, talking about boundaries, talking about Ellie. You know, there's on page 194 Ellie is his girlfriend, and I'm his friend who is a girl. And I think he feels guilty for overstepping those boundaries, and I feel guilty for encouraging him. You know, she's constantly thinking about that. Why is he taken? Yeah. I can't tell anyone about this. Does it mean it's wrong? Like, yeah. she's very, very aware of it.
1: I kind of wish she had told Brittany. Bridget. I wish that she had said something to Bridget because I think it would have opened the door for another discussion that she and Bridget really need to have, you know? Mm. But yeah, I wonder that too. Do, do you think that it's wrong that they don't tell anybody or that they feel like they can't tell anybody? Do you, do you feel like it makes it wrong? No, but
0: I'm the wrong person to <laughs> ask.
1: I think I'm more bothered by the fact that Sinclair is straddling two women than I am by the fact that Anna feels like she can't tell anybody cuz she doesn't want to hurt Meredith. She doesn't really yeah. know how to feel about Ellie, but it's Meredith that's who she's protecting mentally.
0: Yeah, cuz she doesn't want to overstep and and to her it's not anything, right? Like it's not like she there's not there's the, there's no potential of it being a thing because he is with Ellie. Yeah. So therefore why should she hurt Meredith's feelings, right? So she mm. just won't tell Meredith I do agree that she should tell Bridget. There's no real reason. Like, who cares if Toph finds out? Like, you don't actually care about manna? It doesn't
1: matter. But she's doing the same thing that Sinclair is doing, right? Like, she's holding on to this, like, idea of another person so that she doesn't have to confront the way that she feels about him. Don't you feel like that's what it is a little bit? That, That Toph is just like, yeah, boy, back home.
0: There is a safety that comes from being obsessed with someone who isn't available. Like, there is something very comforting about that, especially when you are anxious and you don't really know how to situate Yourself and like Anna came to France, she had other things going on, you know, she had a lot of stress in her life. So, having a crush on this boy that was ultimately unattainable was like a safe thing to do, yeah. So, I don't think she's really processed beyond that,
1: and it definitely was a crush. But I think that once they've had their like Thanksgiving weekend, they are becoming best friends. Like, that's what I really see here is that they actually spend this time together. And the tension that arises is that Sinclair wants Anna to be his best friend and she wants to be best friends with him. But, like, neither of them can really get over the attraction or, like, deal with it in a way that they can sort of acknowledge and move past it, you know?
0: I think the biggest problem here is that he withdraws when other people start turning back up at campus. Mm -hmm. I think if he doesn't do that, then it's fine. Like, if he just acted normally, if they just acted like friends and kept doing what they were doing, maybe people would ask about it, but at least they would have that solid foundation. But because he withdraws, that makes it feel worse. Like, when she says, I feel guilty for encouraging him. She's not done anything wrong.
1: No, that's not on He her.
0: introduces the guilt by acting that way, because he feels guilty for being that close to her, so he, like, externally behaves that way. Yeah, it takes it back just so that he can kind of be like, right, okay, back to the status quo.
1: But it makes it worse, because they've shared these, like, not intimacies, enemies, but like they've had time together.
0: That's what makes it feel wrong. It's the fact that you've now, by withdrawing, you imply that it's wrong, that there was something else going on. Hmm. If you just carried on the way it was, it would have been fine.
1: Yeah. There was this really cute moment where she's like, my first sleepover with a guy and all we did was sleep over," And I just want to take this moment to say when you're in a relationship with someone you should feel comfortable enough to sleep next to them like you should be able to sleep next to someone I feel like that's such an
0: underrated thing I love having naps with people I'm just thinking now and I have had sleepovers like this with pretty much everyone prior to being in relationships with them.
1: Yeah, I think
0: it's nice, right? Like, it's this really beautiful moment where you're like,
1: yeah, because I think one of the things that we don't talk about as a society is how people need each other. Like, even if you don't, you do. I, and I know that there's a lot more conversation about being touch-starved now, but, like, we're pack animals. We're meant to be in and amongst it around each other even if we like you and I are introverts like we do need our us time but like sometimes being without that kind of like communal living is really difficult and really hard and can make you feel very unhappy I feel like sleeping together sleeping sleeping is just one of those really beautiful ways of being like cuddly and intimate
0: without it having any expectations it's just nice I think it's more intimate than having sex with someone, to be honest with you. Like just sleeping with someone, having someone cuddle you, waking up with someone. Yeah. Because you can, you can take, you don't, you don't necessarily, you're not going to do that just by having sex with someone. Like that might not even happen. Yeah. That's not necessarily what you're going to get. I think a lot of people think those two things go hand in hand, but that's not always the case. Whereas if you are, committed to just like sleeping with someone that's very different
1: yeah and it's a really beautiful expression of trust as well you're very vulnerable when you sleep you do all sorts of gross things
0: yeah make weird noises
1: yeah you're trusting the other person to be like okay you talked in your sleep but i'm not gonna like hold it against you or think you're a weirdo <laughs> You know, just, twitching sleep all sorts of things happening <laughs> it's really tender and i really loved it
0: yeah it's yeah it's a very intimate thing definitely And especially in this situation because from what i understand this is quite a small bed yeah there's only one bed (laughs) it sounds like a a dorm room bed so like a king single yeah
1: so that's not a lot of space oh my gosh no but he is quite tiny
0: apparently so maybe it works yeah but still i'm also glad they put on pajamas the second night because i'm like this this is a very uncomfortable just take your pants off it's fine and considering (laughs) this,
1: this book was written like what it was published 2010 so like they would have been wearing those horrible flares and like he would have been wearing those baggage like they would have had so many clothes on so many clothes
0: yeah it's not good like just let him take his pants off who cares don't
1: be weird about it (laughs) well i would feel weird about it but like again i have the perspective of having been an american teenager and i can see exactly where anna's coming from on this like Mm. the concept of sleeping together is a big deal like Even if you say, sleep together, but not sleep together. Like, you have to make that distinction because just sleeping is not... Like, if you say, I slept with, like, it's implied sex which is a whole other weird thing there's a great book about it's called not under my roof and it's like the difference between like american sex ed and like the i think it's like dutch teenagers and like the way that the parents sort of like approach it the netherlands versus the u.s and it's a good read i read mm. it a long time ago before i was having kids because i'm like i better think ahead what are my choices about this gonna be you know what are my house rules gonna be so you know before i even had children of my own i was reading about what to do when they became teenagers that's fine which is
0: around the corner well, i
1: know i know <laughs> Um, I do think Anna has a lot of shame about this stuff with Ellie and Sinclair that isn't hers. And it makes me feel really... I feel like that's a sign of her youth that she's not able to say he's not making these decisions that are healthy for him.
0: What do you do if you have a crush on someone who is in a relationship who is flirting with you and carrying on? It's not really your shame to carry, (laughs) you know? You're not really the one who's doing anything wrong.
1: Yeah, but you still feel like it, right? Because, you know, there's this shadowy other person that's going to be hurt by it. And it just sucks. And you feel responsible for that hurt. It's the worst. I want to also flag that he brings up Ellie at the very beginning. He says, on page mm-hmm. 175, he says, Sometimes I wonder if she, Ellie, you know, his voice grows quiet, wants me gone. And this kind of prompts Anna to get a bit defensive where she's like, Oh, yeah, um, I am excited about seeing Toph. Like, uh, it'll, it'll be, Yeah. He's mentioned Ellie, so now I have to be confident about it and I have to like defend her. And it's just a weird dynamic that he kind of puts her on the spot and makes her the one responsible for fixing it.
0: It's like he wants absolution. He wants her to go, no, she should understand you. She's not doing right by you. Therefore, it's okay that you don't want to spend time with her either, you know? Because I do believe that Sinclair and Ellie probably have drifted apart. They're at different stages of their lives. Like Ellie has having a new experience. Sinclair is under this pressure with his mum. There's a lot going on that could force them apart. I don't think the driving force in their relationship falling apart is him having a crush on Anna is what I'm saying. Like I don't think she is a home wrecker as (laughs) if we're going to be very patriarchal about it. Yeah. I think there are other things at play here and he is just not they're not willing to have the conversation like obviously Ellie is not willing to have the conversation and neither is he when maybe they should have yeah
1: how good is it when you've already got a perfectly nice charming adorable boyfriend and you don't have to think about it in your first year of uni right you're like right that's sorted it takes little to no effort to deal with it even the emotional stuff she's just blowing off right like she doesn't want to talk about his mom even though he desperately needs to talk about his mom he feels that impatient so he's kind of like withdrawing around her and he says as much. So like she's really got kind of a sweet spot too, where she's like not having to focus on
0: anything else because she's already sort of this like, oh, right, I've got a boyfriend, tick. Well, this is one of the biggest killers of relationships is taking the other person for granted, right? Like never working at it, just assuming it's always going to be good because it was good at a time, and then you stop working at it. And that doesn't take into the fact that people are constantly changing and evolving, and if you want your relationship to survive, you have to change and evolve. It has to change and evolve with you because you're not stationary.
1: And Ellie also seems very cautious, she doesn't seem like the kind of person who would need to like branch out or rock the boat yeah she seems like she likes things to go a certain way to fit a certain narrative
0: well if you've already got the plan in your head of how things are going to go right sometimes when you think you've got it all figured out you're not necessarily checking in on the other people or on that journey with you you just assume you're all on the same path especially when you're younger i think that's definitely something that comes with age and maturity is you cannot assume that other people are reading your mind and knowing exactly where you're going and what you want to do you need to communicate yeah it's
1: like a real lack of self-awareness like it's something that you grow into yeah I do think
0: empathy is expensive
1: for for kids right and I'll talk about this a little bit more in my in-depth but I really think that Anna spends a lot of her empathy on Sinclair and she really does not turn enough toward herself because she's spending so much outward because she likes him so much and I kind of want her to be more gentle with herself especially as
0: regards the feelings of guilt Can we talk about this? Because there's that moment where they go to Shakespeare and Company. Great. Love it. That's our bookstore, Jen. Yeah, we did go there. That was Mm. lovely. Um, But she has this cry because, you know, she's looking at her dad's books and then Sinclair reads it and it's because of cancer and then she has a cry and I'm like, this is a ridiculous reaction for you to have. Like, for you to be crying because he might be upset because your dad writes a book about cancer. To me, I was just like, what is happening? You're being so OTT right now. And in a way, you're kind of making it about you. Like, you're making all these feelings. Like, you're crying. You're making such a big deal. I don't know. It felt very weird to me. And I'm like, is this self-awareness about how she feels about her dad? Because she's like, I never hated my father as much as I do right now. And I'm like, is this self-awareness or is it a lack of self-awareness? I think,
1: yeah, like this is my in-depth. I actually picked this for my in-depth. So okay, I, great, I will talk great. about right. it. You can but, go like, into
0: it. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: I really, I was really struck by it as well. And I have like a kind of low-key defense of James Ashley's books, which I never thought I would be that person who was like, yes, this calculated tearjerker. But um I feel like she's worried so much about Sinclair's feelings about his mom and she's so scared that he's gonna do the thing he's been doing for the last four weeks and like withdrawing and not paying any attention to life as it happens around him that she just Mm. immediately gets super emotional about it which i completely understand because there's definitely been times especially in when you're on uncertain footing with someone where you're like oh my gosh have i ruined everything have i ruined everything plus she's super embarrassed by her dad so
0: yeah 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 that's a good call she might be afraid of losing him like you know she has got ellie saying you should go to san francisco and josh is saying you should just withdraw and maybe she's worried and she's so reluctant to leave him at the airport right like maybe there's a yeah. part of her that's worried that he will stay in san francisco and she won't see him again and she'll never have any resolution to the way that she feels
1: yeah it's hard to be young it's hard to be young and have a crush such a big crush yeah I
0: mean I how old is she 17 I can't even imagine
1: yeah she's almost 18 feeling like
0: this at 17 yikes
1: everything feels terrible when you're that age and like you have all those hormones and big feelings there was a really cute moment where on the second night he says no you don't you don't want to sleep in my bed trust me and she's like oh but Mm -hmm. I do but then she's like but you know, he's right. My bed is cleaner." And I thought that was really cute that he was. she was so self-aware of her own like, yeah, I'm a neat freak and I do have opinions about dust mites and we will be sleeping in my room and that will be fine. But like, also when you really feel for someone, you can kind of get over that squicky feeling of like, ew, they don't wash their sheets as much because you're like, I just want to lie next to them wherever.
0: Oh, yeah. See, I'd be really bad at that. I-, I can't bear it. I would have to be like, I will stand here and watch you change your sheets. When last did you change <laughs> your sheets? I actually did that to my ex when I first went around to his place. I'm like, well, you I'm going to have to change your sheets sheets. I don't trust this at all. <laughs> and I just... Just this morning was rereading boyfriend material and there's that bit where Oliver goes around to Luke's flat the first time and he's like, you live like this? I'm like, it's <laughs> me. It is actually me.
1: It's so funny because now that I have disgusting children, I never judge other people's houses because I'm like, I have two agents of chaos and I can't be on top of them all
0: the time. No, see like kids, that's fine. Like family mess is fine. I'm talking about particular, especially like young, youngish, like, you know, somewhere between 18 and 26 year old single boy <laughs> state of affairs. It's a Particular kind of grime that I am not on board
1: with. (laughs) (laughs) I will give us some motherly advice, which is to set the alarm in your phone, and when the alarm goes off every two weeks, just change your sheets and get a backup set, so you can just put the new ones on, put the other ones in the wash. Don't fold them. You don't have to fold them when they're clean. Just put them in the box under the bed or in the drawer next to the. I don't care, but like just set the alarm.
0: The alarm will save you. I promise. And just clean your showers, guys. I beg of you. It's not that much task. <laughs> like just get a spray bottle and like while you're in the shower, just spray the shower. The bare minimum. The bare minimum. I love cleaning the shower because it means I get like the
1: 15 minute hot shower and I don't have to feel guilty about taking <laughs> a lot. I'm like, oh no, I'm magic erasering
0: all of the glass. Just going to be in here till the water goes cold my ex's last flat before we moved in together, I wouldn't walk barefoot on the carpet. I would always have to wear <laughs> socks because I'm like, mm, no. You know your limits. You know what's okay. <laughs> I'm not as bad as my dad. Like this is where I get it from. I, I 100% know that my dad is a insane neat freak. And so I've been taught a certain level of neatness and cleanliness that I don't even maintain currently because it's so next level. Like my mm. dad, we would wash the car every week and not just wash the car, we would detail the car. So, you know, you'd clean the rims, you'd clean the engine, you'd clean the inside of the fans. Like the car was always spotless so people get in my car now and they're like your car is so clean i'm like listen i never clean this car like i never clean it inside properly i take it through the car wash i vacuum it maybe once every six months but to my dad this car would be so dirty but my friends are always like the car is so clean i'm like we have different standards I
1: think I had the same standard your dad had when I was younger and I had a car all to myself. But now that I have children again, I'm just like, no visible stains, no smells. I don't care if there's dirt from the leaves on the floor or the mats. It's fine. If I can see out the Choose your battles. Yeah. (laughs) We go through the rainbow car wash, which is not the best way to wash a car. But I'm like, it doesn't matter. The kids love it. It's fine. 15 bucks and it's like half an hour of entertainment. We can do this. I used to be very fussy about my car as well.
0: Like I still, I'm obviously like, there's no trash in my car. There's no like random stuff in my car. My car's... entirely spotless inside but i don't actually i just keep it that way i don't necessarily clean it but i know like i don't for example wipe down the door jams and that is something my dad would do so i'm like oh look at the look at the green gunk in the door jams like mm, this is like every time I, <laughs> I open my doors i'm like oh i can hear my dad's voice oh, i love oh, it. the things we have to unlearn though because i'm like i don't want to spend my weekends cleaning my car
1: you've got other things to do
0: like hang out with me exactly we can just
1: talk about it instead
0: um the other youth i saw in the this section was just the the studying and the cramming for the exams and the panicking and like everyone's
1: freaking out yeah i noticed that as well and like she's like we're all pulling
0: all-nighters and i'm like don't do that that's really bad for your health but also, can I just ask why? Because they say that the university let us turn up. I'm like, then why are you still studying? You've already gotten into uni. <laughs>
1: what is this for? I believe it's predicated on the assumption that you'll do as well as you've been doing. Because I think I needed to let my university, like I went to a party school, right? So like they did, like I could have had like a 2.0 and they would have been like, yeah, fine, whatever. I remember something about it being predicated on I needed to keep my GPA within the same like range. So I think that they're studying because like, especially if you have a really good GPA, you can't really let it tank even in your last year because like, that just, it kind of alters, right. yeah, it's like a conditional entry.
0: Because in Australia you don't get into uni until you've finished your final exam, so you don't know until the very end.
1: But they also schedule it in such a way that you have three terms of year 11 so that you finish up year 12 a term early, so that you have mm. that time to like apply to uni, right? Isn't that how it's done? Like, you get your UAI and then you do all of your applying.
0: No, you do. your applying before. Well, that was when I was at school. Oh. You had to apply before you set your HSC. Oh. Yeah, that's pretty terrible. And everything rides on the HSC, which is really only the final exam. So I'm kind of like, what's the point of everything else you do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> if everything comes down to the final exam, I don't understand. Because by the time I got to year 12, I'd already checked out. I was like, I'm done with school. Yeah, hard same. So my HSC did not go as well as it probably should have if I had actually studied. But
1: meh. What's the motivation? Like, if you know that you're going to get into your course, then, like, why would you?
0: Yeah, and just I feel like it's a very bad thing to tell students, basically. They get taught that your HSC is like the be-all and end-all and if you don't do well and you don't get the high UAI, you're basically, that's it, that's the end of time, and I'm like, it's just not the case. It's really not the case.
1: Every, everybody who gives me that song and dance, I just point them to my friend Amy who spent a decade travelling, pulling beer at pubs in London, going to every European country she could in that time. She would save up enough money, travel, come back, do another job like that, save enough money, travel, come back. She just based herself out of London for like a decade. And then she fell into a job doing primary, like she was an aide at an elementary school in London and discovered that Mm. she loved working with primary aged kids. And now she's like a kindy teacher. And she went back to uni at 28 because she just, like, that was the thing that she discovered that was like her jam. That was her jam. She would never have done that at 18. She would have never known.
0: It's kind of a wiser thing to do. It's mad that we sort of have to choose what we're going to study when you're 18.
1: Oh, good grief. Go out and live your lives. I wish gap years or gap five years were more common. Mm. You don't really have to have it all figured out. No. I do love how casual the whole discussion around unis is, like in this in this section where Anna's like, I got into all of mine, Rashmi got into Brown, like Meredith's gonna choose between London and Rome. Like it's she's just like it's one sentence and it's done, you know? It's not like, Oh, we've yeah. spent all this time applying to Yale and
0: Yeah, it's not the Gilmore girls where Rory spends three seasons stressing about Harvard or Yale. And then doesn't
1: go to the one that she had planned to go to her whole life.
0: I do think America perhaps has an unhealthy relationship with its uh, universities, but...
1: Yeah, there are lots of state schools that are just as good
0: as as spending all of that money on Ivy League. It's just a very, very different system, so, yeah.
1: That said, the financial support for people who are under the poverty line or on the poverty line is often way better at private universities than it is at state schools. So oh, right. if you can get into Harvard and you don't have enough money, they will pay for most of it, I think. Hmm. I, according to, was it um, Hillbilly Elegy by J.D. Vance, which chronicles his, I think it was Harvard or Yale, he went to one of the two and he talked about how you know he got in on a massive financial scholarship and just like the the culture clashes and the class differences were just insane
0: yeah it seems like a lot of work yeah
1: and I don't know that the rewards are really worth it but you know this is me I went to Macquarie. that's a great uni I'd recommend it to anybody I had a real chill time at uni it was great yeah (laughs) it should be that those are your young adult years when you should be like okay I'm figuring out who I am and what I want to do not who I'm going to be but what I want to do just a totally different conversation
0: Hmm. did you have any tangential
1: marginalia I had a few youth ones that I wanted to talk about Mm. if we could go back to that really quickly yeah yeah of course I loved how Anna's frustration with their will they won't they kind of whatever the tension is she says some really awful things to Sinclair he's nitpicking her and he's like playing devil's advocate and she finally snaps and says something really rude and even Meredith is like Anna and she's like I'm sorry I don't know what I said I don't know why I said that I don't know what I'm like what I'm doing I think that's a very like normal reaction when you're fine. like you finally get to a point where you just snap and you say something really unacceptable he's kind of been goading her into the And he knows he's been behaving badly because he has to like suck it up and be like, yeah, it's all right. But really struck me that that's something that when you're young, you don't know how to say, stop acting like a jerk. You just Mm -hmm. don't have the words for that. You can't be like, quit it. I know what you're doing. I see that you're doing this because you want to pick a fight.
0: Yeah, just escalate it, right?
1: Yeah, she like she can't defuse it by saying like, "Okay, tell me your feelings," because she's feeling it. She's inside of it, and that's very young. Like it's really hard when you're right in the middle of it to kind of be like,
0: "Ah, how do I deal?" I saw this tweet the other day that's like, if you're ever in a meeting where someone is being a man is being aggressive, just go, "Oof, big feelings," and see how they reply. Oh my so maybe Anna should have just been like, big feelings, Sinclair. Do you want to talk
1: about them? He kind of does need to talk about them. Or maybe stop pretending that he wants to talk about them with anybody who's not Anna because he actually just wants to talk to Anna about everything. Um, And I also love that they aren't sitting together on the flight, but he makes it happen anyway.
0: Yeah. Lo- the flight attendants are not going to be happy about that. You can't just swap seats without telling anyone. I did not know you couldn't do that. I've never tried to swap seats before. No, they very clearly tell you not to change seats until after takeoff and landing and you have to tell the flight attendant
1: oh so that if there's like a crash and they have to identify your charred remains they know who you are
0: correct yes that is exactly why (laughs) that's also why you have to keep the window shades up on the plane so that if the plane crashes they can look in and see if there's anyone alive in there yeah because most crashes do happen takeoff and landing right so correct the first 10 yeah ten thousand feet is the most dangerous time for a pilot so if you're in, ever in the cockpit, you're not allowed to talk for the first 10,000 and last 10,000 feet. Just pro tip everyone. Be quiet. This is amazing. I don't like I, it.
1: I had no idea. I love your secret aviation life tips. <laughs> this is what you get from yeah. growing up on runways, the, the airplane kind of runways.
0: Oh, not the fashion kind. That would have been different. <laughs> I guess all I would get then is an eating disorder. Whoops. <laughs> Hey, you don't even have to grow up on fashion runways to get those. Although I think it might have been an exclusively 90s thing, like 80s, 90s. I think this is where we got... I feel like we millennials, to make it about generations, are weirdly afflicted by their body image brush in a way that other generations are not. And especially not Gen Zs. Like, they come at millennials all the time for not wanting to wear crop tops. And I'm like, look, I am thrilled for you that you don't have body image issues, but the rest of us have a lot of body image issues.
1: (laughs) The supermodel of our era was Kate Moss. Heroin Chic was the body type of when I came of age, and I am not that body type. Like if I had had a Lizzo when I was young, who was like beautiful and revered as sexy, mm. I would have been very different. But like, no, no, no. Yeah.
0: All we got was like, nothing tastes as good as skinny feels for like yep. 10 years at their most influential stage of our development. So sorry that I cannot wear a crop top. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I was looking at, like, like the, you know how every show is now, like, the cast of the shows from the early 2000s, they all now have a podcast. Someone's doing mm-hmm. an OC podcast, and, like, so all of these gifts are popping up on Tumblr, and I'm like, wow, do you remember when Misha Barton was, like, it? Mm-hmm. I mean, she's beautiful, but she's, like, a
0: giraffe person, and I'm just like... She's like so tall. But even like Kira Knightley, right? Like early era Kira Knightley like Benedict like Beckham, Love actually yeah. and she's
1: so skinny. Yeah. And she's always been teeny tiny. Like that's just genetics, but she
0: definitely fit that mold. And never forget, like, Bridget Jones. It was such a big deal that Renee Zellweger gained all this weight to play Bridget Jones. And she was and she like just looks like a, looks like a normal yeah. person. It's like, oh my gosh. And so for the rest of us who are normal sized people, it was like oh god. This is what bad is? Oh no. Oh no. Yeah. Yeah. Well, kids, they don't understand. They don't understand the psychological warfare we experienced for like decades. You all have it so easy and thank goodness you do. Yeah, I'm thrilled for you, but don't shame me for not wanting to wear a crop
1: top. (laughs) Also, why wouldn't you want your stomach covered? I'm sorry, it gets cold. It is cold. I don't want my tummy up. Also, I don't think any jumper is long enough. I think they
0: should all hit like mid-hip, but that's fine. It's just my old lady-ness. No, I agree. I actually like a long jumper because I like to wear them with leggings and that means I need a baggy jumper, like an 80s style jumper, ideally. We need to make
1: our own fashion line for comfy ladies. Mm. Long pockets, long jumpers, everything really comfy. No scratchy seams or tags. Um, There's some youth in Anna's little brother being really bratty that she's home. I like Bridget more because she didn't abandon me, which is totally like a ratbaggy thing to do. But I just love that she says, it's amazing how small a resentful seven-year-old can make me feel. Because that Mm. totally happens. Like, even her mom's really rude to her when she, like, is trying to drink this coffee and, like, it's terrible coffee. And she's like, oh, and her mom goes, one semester in France, suddenly we're Miss sophisticated Your father will be thrilled. And Anna just, like, I didn't get a choice about this. I didn't ask to be... Sent to Paris, and how dare you bring dad up as if this is like something we're in cahoots over? Like, her mom is just realizing that she's missed out a lot, and so she's being a bit snippy. And uh, like, I get it, yeah. I completely get it, but also, like, how frustrating. I would immediately have my hackles up as well
0: at that. I think it's a, a definitely an important life lesson for Anna to learn not to get McDonald's coffee. Like, we're not talking about McAfee <laughs> here. This is pre McAfee. This is just McDonald's coffee. Like, this reminds me of the time I went to the 7 Eleven and got a coffee, and I was like, I have made an error. This is just <laughs> (laughs) just boiling it doesn't taste like anything it's just scalding water what have i done I have to say, if you say that the coffee's
1: not good, then it is really not good because you're not like a coffee snob in any way. You're not
0: like, it has to be the single origin fresh roast. You're like, nah, nah, this is No, fine. I will say I love a good coffee. Like I appreciate a good coffee. Mm. I can definitely taste the difference in a good coffee, but I have an unmitigated caffeine addiction and therefore I just need the caffeine and I don't care what format that caffeine comes in. So I make instant coffee at work. I get mocked for it all the time because Wellingtonians are coffee snobs and mm-hmm. at work, no one can believe that I drink instant coffee. And I'm like, look, I just need this caffeine in my system ASAP. And I don't want to clean a plunger. So yes, I am having the instant. Also, plunger coffee isn't the best. If someone else makes a plunger, I will have the plunger if someone else is making it. But I don't think the plunger coffee is any better than the instant, to be honest.
1: No, I agree. I don't like, I've never liked plunger coffee. I will, I like the the people who make the best plunger coffee are Bethany and Troy. But they have a thing. So they make a whole big plunger of it. And then they put it in like a thermos. And that's your coffee. Mm. And then like whoever's next in the kitchen to make more coffee, you just do the whole thing again. So it's like a community effort among the adults in the household, which is one of the reasons I love staying with Bethany, because like everybody's in charge of the coffee being there all of the time. And it's great. But yeah, that's the only pleasure coffee I like is Bethany's.
0: I like a good filter coffee. Like when I buy Emily and I buy a house, I'm gonna get us a filter coffee machine that we can program in the mornings so when we wake up. The coffee's there. We had that for years and it is so good. My parents have that and it's honestly the best thing to wake up to freshly percolated coffee. But also mm. Emily's got a proper espresso machine, so you know you'd have the filter as soon as you wake up and then you can make proper coffee because the more coffee you have the better.
1: Oh my gosh, I'm gonna buy you guys matching little thermal mugs and it's gonna be <laughs> Cute.
0: like one
1: of you will get one colour and one of you will get the other colour and then it will just be so good. I can't wait, that's your housewarming gift all sorted so,
0: <laughs> so yeah I don't mind what format the coffee takes but yeah I appreciate Anna's reaction to the McDonald's coffee I'm like yeah well I don't know what you expected hun
1: <laughs> I-, I love that she like her mom is like you drink coffee now like yeah I mean there's a point in most people's lives when they go from like milk to coffee I love her mom like you're still drinking milk though right <laughs> it's
0: okay there's lots yeah, of milk coffee too for some of us that stage came at the age of three so hence caffeine <laughs> addiction <laughs> I
1: was always sneaking drinks of my mom's Diet Pepsi as a kid. She left the room and left her Diet Pepsi laying down. It was fair game. We all got into it.
0: it. just wasn't a thing that you weren't supposed to give to children in South Africa. Like, my entire family drinks so much coffee. Even when I go visit them, like, I haven't been since I was, like, 24. But still, we're talking, like, 8, 19 cups of coffee being made at any time. You'll finish a mug and someone will be like, more coffee? It's just, like, <laughs> unhinged how much coffee gets drunk. So I don't remember a time ever in my life that I didn't drink coffee.
1: Can I go to visit your family? This sounds great. I feel like could fit
0: right in (laughs) totally we should go (laughs) have a safari
1: yes take me i would love to that way you could show me all the cool things about where you're from and then i'll take you to oregon and we'll find all the vampires together
0: delightful go to that poor italian place oh my goodness oh okay um
1: did you have anything else before we get onto tangential i did not that was all of it oh i really loved the bit where i think my one tangential marginalia is that she ended up having to change with sinclair in the room and she was like i'm starting naked in the room with the most beautiful boy i know and she was really freaked out about it and like he was aware and she was aware and it was such a teen moment it just made me laugh and then there was a mirror lol and she's like ah could you see anything and he's like no i definitely didn't even i wasn't looking i totally wasn't looking it's just really cute so cute <laughs>
0: Little honor code. Um,
1: so, yeah, I think that's it for my my big wins.
0: The only tangential I had was I just want to say, <laughs> in no universe does someone give you a Pablo Neruda poem as a platonic gesture. Hannah, <laughs> what are you doing? This boy did not buy you this poet. No, no, this is like 100% love poetry. Like, this is, this boy did not give you this without meaning. That's why he asks about it again. Like, what are you doing? Pablo Neruda.
1: I don't know anything about, like, I don't think I've read any Pablo Neruda, so I didn't get that he was a love poet until I read this book, and then I was like, oh, okay, so that's why
0: it's important. Oh my gosh. What do you have for in-depth marginalia? So my in-depth marginalia is a page 216. You know, Anna's back in Atlanta. She's been met by her family. Bridget isn't there. They've been to McDonald's, and now they're back in the road basically the final paragraph of the section and it says we merge back onto the interstate it's rush hour and the atlanta traffic has stopped moving the car behind us shakes with the thumping bass the car in front sprays a cloud of exhaust straight into our vents two weeks only two more weeks so you know she's had this incident where sean has been a right brat to her she's bought Mm -hmm. him that she's like made a lot of effort to get him this gift that he just rejects out of hand her mum has been really mean to her because she wants to drink coffee and it's just like very dismissive as you've already said yeah. Bridget isn't there to meet her after Bridget said she would be. And she's had this kind of like heart sore moment when she's left Sinclair behind, like after this lovely time of reconnecting on the plane. I think in terms of our themes of self awareness, um, you know, self awareness is something that comes with age and I don't think maybe Anna has quite had the time and the experience to really sit with her feelings and realise what leaving a place actually means. Yeah. Or what it means to come back. And it's also youth because She's being slightly naive And it's lacking the understanding and the empathy To maybe recognise that people have lives without you You are not the centre of their world And that can hurt But it's actually not a reflection on you Like that is just their lives So it reminds me of my own life Because I have been in Anna's position more times than I wish Like it is hard leaving But it is hard going back And in a lot of ways There actually is no going back The place Mm -hmm. you leave stops existing the minute you leave it And I said it before in an earlier season But there is a quote from Return of the King that I always think of, and it's Frodo saying how do you pick up the threads of an old life? How do you go on when in your heart you begin to understand that there is no going back? There are some things that time cannot mend, there are some hurts that go too deep and have taken hold. You know, you want people and things to be the same. When you come back, you want things to be as though you've never left. Mm. And people want you to be the same as you were when you left. They don't want you to have changed either. And that never happens. And sometimes you come back and you realize you are no longer compatible with the place or the people that you left behind. In ways that you've never predicted. And I think that is really, really hard. But I think going forward, what I want to remember is that... People are allowed to change. It's important that we try to meet people where they are and as they are, not as idealized versions of themselves, not the people that we want them to be rather than the people who are in front of us. And, you know, we're all on our own journeys. Um, I think the key to being a good friend and a good partner and even a good person maybe is just to have grace and to keep in mind that everyone has their own things going on. And it isn't a value judgment on you. A friend not meeting you at the airport when they said they would is hurtful. And it's totally fair to communicate that they have hurt you in that moment. You know because you're not a priority to them and maybe that makes you feel small or you need them to do something for you like it's fine to communicate that but you also have to acknowledge that maybe they have unavoidable commitments and something may sometimes things come up and it's important to recognize that is not about you them not being there doesn't mean that you aren't valuable so you know don't internalize these external factors and make yourself feel terrible about it yeah yeah
1: It's hard being young, man. And it is really hard when you leave a place and then you just can't come back. You're right. Maybe that's one of the reasons I keep coming back to YA, because it's all about that leaping off moment. And that really resonates with a lot of people. We all do at some point have to leave a place we've loved or
0: been loved and and we can't come back. And you always think that it won't be you. You always think that things will change, but it won't be us. We'll stay friends forever. This won't change. We'll always have these rituals and these habits. But like I said before, relationships, you change, and your relationships have to change with you. Otherwise, they're not going to survive. Or you have to find the thing that doesn't change enough that you can always click
1: into it. I think that's like some of my most treasured friendships are the ones where even if you don't talk for a really long time, you just click right back into it, and you just don't feel like you've missed any time. But that's really rare,
0: and it's really hard to find that. I think those relationships come from people who are willing to just meet you where you are yeah, and don't have preconceived ideas of you. So you don't have to be anything other than what you are. And they will just meet you time after time. They'll just love you as you are every time. And yeah. that is like, it's scary to find those relationships because you have to be so vulnerable, but they're so rewarding.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The best and deepest of relationships. But you're right. It's hard to get to that point where you're willing to put yourself out there.
0: Hmm. Um, what about you? Did you have an in-depth for us?
1: I do. I went with the one on page 183 where they're in Shakespeare and Company, which is our bookstore. Mm-hmm. And it's where she's looking around at the books. She's realized they're all in English. She goes to find her dad's book. She's holding one and Saint Clair is like, what's this book about? So on, on page 183, it says, I've never hated my father as much as I do right now. How could he? How dare he make money off something so horrible? So Sinclair is upset that her dad basically writes these like manipulative tearjerkers. But he's kind of like, he's not upset, upset. He's like, oh, people enjoy this, do they? Like, because he's living it. It doesn't feel like something he can really approach from outside to look at, like, what might actually attract people to these sorts of books. Mm. But Anna takes it really personally, and as you said, it's kind of like a wobbly She actually chucks a wobbly and she has a big tearful meltdown about it. And you know, she's really embarrassed and ashamed of her dad. And it reminded me really strongly of this this idea that people can be really ashamed of their relatives who have different opinions or values than you. Um, it's really hard when you're younger because not only are you trying to figure yourself out, but you kind of have to do that in contrast, in comparison to your family. um So I remember when, like, the first time I was able to vote, I went through, I researched all the candidates. This was like a little local election, but I. I researched all the candidates i picked the people who aligned with my values and i was so proud of myself for like really doing the work so i called my mom and i was like mom i've just done all this research mm. and like i decided that i'm gonna vote for this person because of this and i'm gonna vote for that person because of that and all that she heard was i'm voting for different people than you and it made her so upset that she hung up on me it was the first time i got in trouble for being more left-leaning than my family but it definitely wasn't the last but it just reminded me like Anna's absolute like shame and horror at her father like what she views as manipulating people to sell books like she that's the value she doesn't share and she's really confronted by that but I do want to say like this is very young of her to sort of look at it in this way that it's only affecting her Mm -hmm. and I think her self-awareness is that she is aware that she doesn't share those values but she's still so young she can't kind of like put it in context and here's my james ashley apologism <laughs> a lot of people read those books to deal with the things that they have lived through lots of people read books like that because they're cathartic because they unlock something in them that they can't get to themselves and that is perfectly valid they're not for me but they're fine they're absolutely fine but she's not old enough really to understand that so that the, apologism over so anyway, going forward, I think it's really easy to get caught up in shame, especially around other people's perceptions of who we are or who we think they think we are. Um, I know that I've spent a lot of time navigating my own shame around things about my family that just aren't like they're not actually relevant to me at all. And it's hard to let go of, but it's worth the work. So I hope that Anna can at some point like accept her dad for doing what he's doing and just be like, that's my dad's gig, but it's not mine. It's not actually reflecting mm. on her at all.
0: Yeah, it's so interesting. I think, again, it comes down to, like, it's a matter of trust, right? We have to learn to trust yourself and trust that you can just be yourself. Even if you have people who, you know, you don't agree with their relationship, you have to trust that people aren't going to judge you in context to those people they're going to judge you for who you are and that is a thing that comes with maturity as you say and like self-awareness and self-acceptance often only when you are self-possessed are you able to go that's their truth but it's not mine you can have that grace but not if you aren't there yet yourself
1: yeah And I think it'll be nice for Anna to realize someday that she isn't, like, living in contrast to her parents. She doesn't have to be like one or the other. She doesn't have to look at the negative things that are associated with her parents and be like, oh, no, I'm a little bit like my dad, so I'm all the way like him, which she is quite worried about. It's okay to have the same traits as people who have different values to you because you are who you are. And, like, as long as you're living to your truth and doing the best you can in your life, I think it's okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Who do you want to spotlight this week? Weirdly, I want to spotlight Meredith, who is only in this very briefly. But I don't know, man. Bickering friends are the worst. She's trying to do her Christmas yes. shopping, and Anna and Sinclair are having this little melodrama that she has to like try and solve and navigate, and making everything weird and awkward. And then there's this whole poetry angle, and yet again, it's this this like she's being left out of this whole yeah. thing. Like everyone's leaving her out. Anna and Sinclair are leaving out. Josh and Rashmi are doing their thing. She's just like really on the periphery of this friendship group that she is actually the anchor to that she holds together she's yeah. just not seen for that and I just want to give her a big old hug like you deserve better Meredith justice for <laughs> Meredith yeah absolutely
1: oh man they're just rude they're rude be better friends Anna and Sinclair yeah
0: no one's being a good friend to Meredith
1: um who would you like to spotlight I wanted to spotlight Sinclair he did have a lot of moments of grace in this chapter but he ends up being really hurtful and I feel like that's very true to being young and confused and like not knowing who you are or what you want to do with your life or like even how to talk about the difficult things. Um, mm. But I really love the good moments that he and Anna have. And I love the vulnerability that he puts out. Even if it isn't responded to in the way that he wants, I'm just proud of him for trying. So, yeah, yeah. clear. Well, next week we'll be reading chapters 25 through 29 through the theme of transformation. will be exciting.
0: That will be exciting. It'll be interesting to come up with a story. <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah well there's always puberty the biggest transformation
0: i can't even remember <laughs> puberty it's so long ago
1: <laughs> isn't it just like all of the years of hell in our early teens where we're like everything is so much all of the time
0: i just feel like i was having such a bad time that puberty did not even seem to register so yeah <laughs> it was like it was the just worst like of pile. the time yeah it was like all yeah. the pile
1: of terrible things but it wasn't the terrible thing
0: yeah fair enough yeah but I will ponder. Note to self. Don't move my kids overseas at the tender age of 13, 14. It's not a good time. Like, do it before. Definitely before. Poor little you. Mm. Well, I look forward to catching up again next week and talking some more about
1: youth. Oh, it's going to be great. Thank you for parting with me, Jen. This was really wonderful. Always a delight.
0: All right. See you soon. See ya. Thanks for joining us today. Marginali Pod is written, edited and produced by Jen D and Jen V with additional editing and production support by Simon B. If you enjoyed our chat, you can subscribe to Marginali Pod on your podcast platform of your choice. Your support means the world to us. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at Our music is by Scott Buckley. For extended show notes or to find out more about us, visit us at www.marginaliapod.com.